Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on women's football in Africa. A year ago, Cameroon hosted the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. It was an opportunity to grow the women's game there, but the situation right now is not good. We have a special report from Cameroon. We have a downtrend of female football because it is all about the policy that surrounds the game. Also, we take a look at the draw for the 2018 World Cup. It's a generally tough-looking one for Africa. And as Manchester United host English Premier League leaders Manchester City this weekend, is the title City's already, with just 15 games played. That's all coming up, but first, the FIFA Club World Cup is underway in the United Arab Emirates, with Widat Casablanca of Morocco flying the flag for Africa. This is an annual competition where the champions of all the continental confederations take part, and Africa's best ever performances were in 2010, when TP Mazembe of DR Congo made it to the final, losing to Inter Milan of Italy, and also in 2013, when Raja Casablanca of Morocco also reached the final, they went down to Bayern Munich. Well, African champions Widad Casablanca play Pachucha of Mexico in the quarterfinals on Saturday. If they win, they'll then face Gremio of Mexico in the semi-finals and perhaps Real Madrid in the final if they happen to go that far. Uh, any chance for Widad Casablanca, Solomon? Well, Steve, honestly, I really feel the chances of Widad Casablanca is uh, really slim and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, inexperience. They played in a couple of uh, international competitions, but the last time they really did well outside of winning the CAF Champions League uh, this year was uh, way back in 2002 when they won the CAF Cup Winners' Cup. And today we know it at the, as the Confet Cup. But looking at their international competitions credentials, the CAF Champions League, they won in 1992 and 2017. They were runners-up in 2011 and they won the CAF Cup Winners' Cup, that is the Confederation Cup, in 2002, the Afro-Asian Club Championships in 1993, and the CAF Cup, they were runners-up in 1999. So a lot of their international experiences outside of 2017 uh, it has been a long time ago. I feel they're going to struggle against uh, a Mexican or Brazilian side that is known to be very uh, flexible and fluid and very uh, creative, uh, which is not something they had faced a lot playing in the CAF Champions League uh, this year uh, in Africa. Well, it won't be easy for Widad Casablanca. We wish them all the best there at the FIFA Club World Cup. Well, now let's take a look at the draw for the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia. It's not great for Africa, I'd say. In Group A, Egypt are in there with the hosts Russia with Uruguay and Saudi Arabia. Morocco are in Group B with Spain, Portugal and Iran. Uh, that certainly is a mammoth task for the Atlas Lions. Nigeria once again have come up against Argentina. They're in Group D, along with Croatia and Iceland. Tunisia play in Group G with Belgium, England and Panama. And perhaps Senegal have the best draw for Africa. They're in Group H with Colombia, Poland and Japan. 
Uh, so, Solomon, which African teams might make it to the knockout stage, would you say? Steve, I, I feel, uh, you know, there are two teams for me that are definitely going to do well in the, in the World Cup. Uh, the first country that is is, is Egypt. Egypt uh, right there in the group with Russia, uh, Uruguay and also Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, uh, Egypt has been doing so well in the last two years. They've rebuilt it quite well and uh, playing holds Russia, uh, which for me, they're not really spectacular right now. And also they're playing at home and there's going to be so much pressure on them. And Russia is not really a world, a world bitter. And you have Uruguay. Uruguay has not been playing very well lately. They've been struggling. Luis Suarez has been struggling. So who, who knows? And Saudi Arabia is coming back, you know, to the World Cup after a couple of misses. And, and so Egypt is definitely uh, with a lot of players uh, like Mo Salah and if you, if you look at that group actually they have uh, some of the top players in their team uh, you know outside of Uruguay Uruguay has uh, quite quite a uh, top players but but Russia and Saudi Arabia you know having players in, playing in the Champions League or top European League week in week out you know Egypt is right up there so I really put my money in Egypt I believe they they definitely going to do do well and also I would uh, I would put my money on Senegal uh, Senegal is a team that I've been really rooting for them the last five six years because they've always been underachieving despite having very great talented group of players and not, never been able to make it to the world cup since 2002 but now they're back there and they have the best draw for africa in group h with colombia poland and japan uh colombia is tricky japan is also tricky uh but you, you never just know with the way that the Senegalese uh, played through the qualifiers and and also having uh, you know uh, an African coach who had been to the World Cup himself and captain his team. I think it's is is going to be a big plus for them. Uh, you know, Aliou Sessa being there and leading them. Uh, they they definitely have a a chance of uh, taking six points from this you know and 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 hopefully you know get to qualify to the knockout stage uh is 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 definitely something that we we have to look at nigeria is going to struggle uh because uh, they're going to be playing argentina <laughs> you know uh, again uh and in the same group and then you look at tunisia in, in group g with belgium england and Panama, I, I, I don't, I don't see them really coming out there. Uh, Nigeria, like I said, with uh, Argentina, uh, Croatia, and Iceland. I, I think for me, it's really the group of that for uh, all the African teams. And this is a World Cup. With the World Cup, we're talking about anything could happen, and uh, you could get a result and, and upset a team. And that's what the World Cup is really all about: getting some few upsets and getting some great results that could, you know, propel you through into uh, the knockout stage. Yes, can Senegal do something? I think they'll be carrying a lot of hopes for the continent. Uh, Stuart, what caught your eye about the World Cup draw? Well, from a European point of view, Germany, the holders, will be favourites and the draw has not been unkind to them, putting them with Sweden, Mexico and South Korea. Now, England play Belgium and that's a really interesting game because so many of the England players will actually be playing against teammates when you think that the Belgian squad includes Chelsea's Theo Courtois and Eden Hazard, Manchester United's Romelu Lukaku and Marouane Fellaini, not to mention Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne and Tottenham's Toby Aldevilt. So that'll be an interesting game with so many players knowing each other. Portugal and Spain are also in the same group, and I recall seeing Spain knocking Portugal out of the World Cup in 2010 in Cape Town. Now, of course, 
With two teams qualifying for the last 16, one would expect England, Belgium, Spain and Portugal to progress. But of course, winning the group can give you an easier game and an easier route to the semi-finals and final, perhaps. That's certainly true. Stay with us, Stuart, as we talk English Premier League later on. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Then you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. Also, you can listen to the show on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, now we talk women's football here on the show. A year ago, Cameroon hosted the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, This gave them a great opportunity to grow the women's game, but the situation right now is not good. This report from Planet Sport Football Africa's Ngaeno Ebae in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Almost a year ago, the passion and excitement around women's football in Cameroon was at its climax as the country's women's national flagship selection played the final of the 2016 Africa Cup of Nations, eventually losing 0 goal to 1 to the Super Falcons of Nigeria. One year after that final, the indomitable lionesses of Cameroon are yet to play a single friendly as the popular fervour and interest that surrounded women's football barely 12 months ago seems to have plummeted. And while the men's team have played no less than three friendlies since March 2017, Cameroon's women's team seems to have gone into oblivion. To make things even worse for the Lionesses, former coach Carl Enongachu has been replaced by Joseph Ndoko following his appointment as Pioneer Director General of Cameroon's National Football Academy, Anafut. Joseph Ndoko, a newcomer to women's football, has not had time to meet with his players. Yet in four months, Cameroon will have to play the qualifiers for the 2018 Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Former indomitable Lioness and football coach now turned analyst Fomum Victorin fears with the current situation the team may be in for poor performances. We have a downtrend of female football because it is all about the policy that surrounds the game and surrounds our football in particular. The head coach, Mr. Eno Angachu, was appointed director general of the football National Academy. Football Academy. But they put a new coach, Coach Ndoko, who's never coached female football. So probably for him to get around those administrators even to give him an opportunity to organize a match, you need to lobby for that. It's probably problematic. You need to get into the circles. And I think that is the problem that he is facing. And if we are not careful, we may have a lot of difficulties. If they don't qualify, they'll come and put the question on the coach. The coach is not good. But what time of preparation did they give to him? I think it's time for us to do something fast so that the coach, not even no female football, can have time to be with them. And then they start knowing him. And they start knowing his own managerial skills so that before the competition comes, he can be able to do something of relevance. So we should give these girls a chance to be able to make Cameroonians live their dreams. For most Cameroonian football pundits, the current situation in which the women's national team find themselves in is an embodiment of all the problems plaguing women's football in the country, ranging from poor organization to lack of finances, as well as an almost inexistent women's championship. Edith Vigenimbok and Angel Bepedi are two Cameroonian journalists who have been reporting on women's football for close to two decades. 
it is a pity because Cameroon is well represented abroad, but when you come back in the country, you are very astonished. National competition are not well organized. Now, we have ended the season. Until now, the championship is still going on. It had stopped four months now, and we don't know why. Is it a matter of money? All the girls don't have any competition. We have a national team which can make Cameroonian proud, but we don't do anything to give them at least competition to judge their level. We have to do something if we want our female football to grow. The championship is poorly organized. The schedule is never respected. We don't have any information concerning the growing of the game. I think it's because of the bad organization of our competitions. Because we have talent, they want to be seen, but there's no platform for them. It's not normal. Moreover, the current power tussles in Cameroon's Football Federation have played a role in asphyxiating women's football in the country. Today, our country is facing a lot of problems. Our football organizers, that's Faker Food, and that one is equally affecting football in Cameroon. We have a normalization committee that has been given three major objectives. Organize the election, manage daily activities, and revise the text. Once they came, they said the executive that was there was illegal. So the activities they started all have come to a halt. It is supposed to be continuous. With three Cameroonian teams, the national flagship selection, the under-20 as well as the under-17 teams in contention for next year's Africa Cup of Nations and World Cups, football analysts are all unanimous. Something needs to be done. Female football lack money. We have to do something to have sponsors. It is a matter of will. If you want success, you have to wake up and work. The best local players need to play together for a couple of weeks. Women football is growing. Football is a collective sport. You have to deal with the best from here and from the diaspora. It is possible only by working. It's not late. We can save our lionesses by organizing camp now. To play the national team, you must belong to a club. The club must play an interregional or departmental competition. The club must be qualified. You must play the Cup of Cameroon. You must play in the You must be licensed. Through football, there is development. Through football, there is empowerment. Through football, there is no language barrier. If all of these policies are not surrounding the game football that we all have, it will become difficult for us to have the same success. Whatever the solution is, should be implemented quickly, as many now fear that with such complacencies, women's football in Cameroon is set for a free fall, which may see some national teams miss out on qualification for key events. That report from Planet Sport, Football Africa's and Eno Ebai in Yaoundé, Cameroon. And uh, Solomon, disappointing to hear that as uh, hosting the Women's Africa Cup of Nations was a great opportunity for Cameroon to grow the women's game. Yeah, I remember the final when they played against uh, the Super Falcons of Nigeria, that is the Lionesses. Uh, you know, there was about a 40,000 strong crowd in the stadium supporting the Lionesses. And and you would think, you know, this is definitely going to be a revival or a, 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 a huge growth for, for women's football. And there are a lot of younger girls that would want to get involved and play uh, for Cameroon but they need to be to be encouraged. Cameroon had played in the Olympic Games uh, once. They played in the uh, World Cup uh, for women once. They had never won the Africa Women's Championship yet. They've been runners-up I think four times. Uh, so it, it's 
it's just a huge opportunity for Cameroon to really, uh, you know, grow the, the women's side of football and not just concentrate on the indomitable Lions, the men's side of football. Uh, but, but I don't think Cameroon really took the advantage of that to, uh, to see and to build the women's football. And, and that's, that for me is, is really, really sad. Yes, and uh, this is such a common situation in many African countries. Nigeria were in the news too this past week as they too haven't played any friendly matches uh, in the year that's gone by since the Women's Nations Cup. And in many African countries, women's football is neglected and not given the same resources and attention as the men's game. Yes, Steve. In, in African countries, uh, you know, a lot of women's football is neglected and not given the same resources as, or attention as, as the men's. I must actually give credit to uh, countries like, like South Africa. I think South Africa has done quite a great job. For me, it's the only country that has done quite a great job in growing women's football. Every year, there's one innovation or another or one area of growth or another. And, and they're having a leak right now. They support the team, uh, you know. The, the private sector is on board and they, they have training camps and, and they, they, they also play friendly games even when they don't really have a competition. Unlike Nigeria who's really the number one team in Africa but recently uh, you know the players have been co- you know complaining and the, the head of the Nigerian football had to uh, apologize you know in, in a lot of African football I, I feel you know uh, the resources are always put into men's football but you know we can build both together because uh, yeah I believe investors and, and uh, sponsors want to uh, you know go with, with the men's team but at the same time we could always strike a deal to make sure that anytime we're getting sponsorship uh, we have to let the sponsor know that you have to take to the two teams together somehow even if the resources or the monies you're, you're putting in is not going to be as much for the women as much as the men because people go to the stadium they always want to follow the men's team but at the same time we have to do something build stronger leagues and invest in schools school football where girls are in secondary school and high schools where we could you know identify them uh you know we might see countries like south africa overtaking a whole lot of other african countries and and a huge gap between the countries that are investing in their women's football and and others that are not investing in their women's football Yeah, sure. Thanks for that, Solomon. Uh, This week on social media, we're asking how is women's football treated in your country and does women's football deserve better? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Tell us how is women's football treated in your country and do you think that the women's game deserves better? Well, last week on social media, we considered the issue of height in football. We talked about some new research that shows that the average height of a team is not a factor in determining success, although most coaches do prefer to have tall players in their team. So we ask for your thoughts and whether you think that tall players bring you success. On Facebook, Kasim Oscar in The Gambia says height is a vital part of the game. For example, Didier Drogba's height helped Chelsea to equalise against Bayern Munich in the 2012 Champions League final, which the Londoners eventually won on penalties. Uh, That's certainly true as uh, Drogba headed in a corner kick there. Uh, Bakary Tamba, also in the Gambia though, disagrees, saying being tall in football doesn't matter. Just have the talent and you will be successful, says Bakary. On WhatsApp, Mwinga Mainbolwa in Zambia believes height does play an important part in football. 
Having tall players up front is an advantage, says Mwenga. A team with many short forwards will always play second fiddle to a team with tall centre-backs and vice versa. Modu Jangba in The Gambia agrees, saying being tall as a player is vital because it helps in various activities on the pitch like heading, getting into space and defence. Its importance can't be stressed enough, says Modu. Cherno Jalo, also in the Gambia, says, I believe height is a big factor when choosing a player. Tall, lanky players have a big chance of winning contracts abroad compared to shorter players. And I very much concur with your guest coach, says Cherno, as he alluded in certain areas of the pitch, mobility matters, and in that, short and speedy players have an advantage. Thanks, Cherno, and the guest coach he was referring to there was Tondarain Diraya, the head coach of Ngezi Platinum Stars, who finished third in the just-ended Premier League here in Zimbabwe. However, Donald in Cameroon doesn't agree that tall players are necessarily more desirable in a team. I don't buy into that philosophy, says Donald. Lionel Messi is the answer for that. Well, that's a good point. Uh, The Barcelona and Argentina striker stands at just 1.7 metres tall. And it's interesting, though, that when Messi was a young boy aged 11, he was diagnosed with the condition Growth Hormone Deficiency, or GHD. His family couldn't afford the treatment, which at that time cost about $900 a month, and Barcelona stepped in and paid for his treatment, which lasted three years until he was 14. Without the treatment, medical people reckon Messi would only reach 1.5 metres tall, but he's now 1.7 metres and, of course, has established himself as one of the world's best players. Now, here's Mamadou Touray in the Gambia. Mamadou says height doesn't matter in the field of football. What's important is how skillful a player is and how well a coach can coordinate his players. Just look at the likes of Maradona, Messi and Roberto Carlos. They're all short, but are legends in the field of football. Yes, we already mentioned that Messi's height is 1.7 metres. Maradona was even shorter at 1.65, while Roberto Carlos was only 1.68 metres. However, Robertson in Cameroon says, Yes, I do consider height to be one of the key factors in football, especially in set pieces. If you don't have considerable height, you may never score with your head or chest the ball in some way before scoring. And if you're a defender, then I'm sorry because you'll get beaten with high balls all the time. Bobby Brown in the Gambia agrees, saying tall players are really useful in the team as you can use them in the front, in the middle and at the back and they can bring success to the team, says Bobby. That's a view shared by Ebrima, also in the Gambia. I think the important aspect of height is when a player jumps for a high ball. So it's important to have a tall defender in your team, says Ebrima. Aliou Fai in the Gambia says football has evolved. Before, the playing style was more physical and robust, requiring a team to have physical and tall players who can use their power and height as their strength and determining factor. However, since the era of tiki-taka football and Barcelona, it's shown that football is now about technique, speed and tactical play. Calvin Truth Jr. in Ghana says, I think height does play an important role if a team wants to be successful, but that is not the most important factor, says Calvin. And Usman J.C. Barr in The Gambia agrees on that point. It's important when it comes to winning the ball in the air, heading and so on, but for me it doesn't really count as much towards a team's overall success, says Usman. 
Well, thanks for all of those views. A final thought on this. Pele, the great Brazilian striker who scored 77 goals for Brazil in 92 appearances and an incredible 619 goals for his club side Santos in 638 games. Was he a tall striker? Well, in fact, no. Despite once scoring with four headers in one game, Pele was only 1.73 metres high. Well, very interesting there. Thanks so much for all of those comments. Uh, this week on WhatsApp and on Facebook, we're asking, how is women's football treated in your country and does women's football deserve better? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How is women's football treated in your country? Always great to hear from you. Well, now let's talk English Premier League as Manchester United host leaders Manchester City on Sunday in the big game of the weekend. Let's go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. 13 wins in a row now for Man City. Can we say that the title is theirs already with just 15 games played? Well, Steve, Manchester United certainly need something out of the game if they're to stay in the title race. And they will go into it with confidence after winning 3-1 at Arsenal. And what a phenomenal game it was. Manchester United 2-0 up in 10 minutes, then Arsenal having 33 shots on goal, but only scoring once, and David De Gea making a record-equalling 14 saves. Now, Paul Pogba got a red card and will miss the Manchester derby, and that could be significant. Now, Manchester City, on the other hand, while their record, as you say, is impressive, they did struggle a bit to beat West Ham, coming from behind, and only winning with a late goal. And incidentally, I can explain how that all happened. It's all to do with the Davids, because West Ham are owned by David Sullivan and David Gold and managed by David Moyes. But sadly, the David, or David, who mattered most, was Manchester City's David Silva, who scored that winning goal. <laughs> so because of the Davids. And uh, Stuart, Ivory Coast Wilfred Bonney finally scored for Swansea, but in a losing cause last weekend as he got his first English Premier League goal in over a year. Yes, I think that Wilfred Bonney enjoyed scoring his first goal for Swansea in this second spell uh, against Stoke City, one of his former teams. But sadly, he was pipped by another African, Mama Biram Dioff of Senegal, who scored the winner for Stoke City. That leaves Swansea bottom of the Premier League and really looking in all sorts of trouble. And, you know, people are already talking about whether they will be the next one to make a change of uh, manager or, or head coach. And they certainly uh, have had a number over the last two or three years. Yes, wouldn't be a surprise to see Swansea looking for a new manager. And uh, Stuart, what else uh, caught your eye? Bournemouth's goal against Southampton came when Ryan Fraser scored past Fraser Foster. And referring back to last week's discussion of big and small, Ryan Fraser is 1.63 metres tall and the goalkeeper he beat, Fraser Foster, is over 2 metres. Height is not everything. In the Championship, it was great to see the Gambian Mudubaro scoring twice at Reading beat Sunderland in Sunderland where, incredibly, the home team has now not won for 21 games. Liverpool are doing well, including that 5-1 win at Brighton, but sadly they are without their Cameroon defender, Joel Matip, 
who may be out for up to two months with a muscle problem. I think they'll really miss him. Chelsea and Manchester United each won 3-1 in what you might call an Ard victory because two of Chelsea's goals were scored by Hazard and two of Manchester United's by Lindgaard. Ard indeed. Well, well, fancy that. Uh, thanks, Stuart. And uh, talking of Liverpool, the Reds were on fire in the UEFA Champions League on Wednesday as they hammered Spartak Moscow 7-0. Senegal Sadio Mane, astonishing pace once again as he scored two goals and Egypt's Mohamed Salah on target again. What a strike force that Liverpool do have. Vincent Aboubacar scored twice for Porto as they beat Monaco 5-2. Remember, Aboubacar scored the winner for Cameroon in this year's Nations Cup final. Guinea's Nabi Keita scored for RB Leipzig, but they lost 2-1 at home to Besiktas and didn't make it through to the knockout stage. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang of Gabon scored twice, but his side Borussia Dortmund lost 3-2 away to Real Madrid, with Cristiano Ronaldo scoring and setting a record of scoring in every single game in the group stage. And we must say well done to Ronaldo for picking up a fifth Ballon d'Or award, equaling the mark of Lionel Messi. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, how is women's football treated in your country? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is... A passion for sport production.